1: This is 10 News first person. I'm Narelda Jacobs. COVID-19 has had a big effect on us all. But what is it like being in a position of authority during the crisis? How do our leaders go about trying to handle being responsible for so many people in a time of such upheaval? Our 10 News first team have spoken to our state premiers to find out how they and their governments have been dealing with the ongoing crisis. Here, Chloe Boris talks to South Australian Premier Stephen Marshall. Premier, thank you for joining me. I see you almost every day in this press briefing room um, for almost the past three and a bit months. But you've actually been in crisis mode for longer than that, since... December with the bushfires in the Adelaide Hills and Kangaroo Island, at the time, did you think that was going to be the biggest crisis you faced as Premier?
0: I've got to be honest, uh, after the bushfires, the last bushfires were extinguished, I thought that's it. Nothing else could go wrong in South Australia this year. We'd already been through some pretty uh, tough uh, times in South Australia with the drought and dry conditions uh, in our state. It it finished off with those terrible uh, bushfires starting on the 20th of December going right throughout uh, January, and I thought, that is it, no more. And then the coronavirus hit.
1: And you, you just appointed yourself as tourism minister. You're you know, trying to get as many people into SA as you could, and then you had to say, actually, hang on, no, that's not the case. Wh- when did you first find out or hear about coronavirus, and did you realise it was actually going to come here?
0: Look, the first briefings uh, came through in January, but it wasn't really until February that we started to really get a, a pretty steady stream of information coming through, exactly what was happening uh, in the Northern Hemisphere, and then some very, very worrying scenes, not just out of China, but then it moved, of course, to Italy and Spain, and then it was very graphic on our television sets every night, in our newspaper every day, and I think that's when the people of Australia started to become extraordinarily concerned about the coronavirus.
1: Even then, though, when you were seeing you know, the horrors in Italy especially, but Did you think that we would go into the lockdown that we did here? Did you anticipate that it it would shut down business and everything?
0: My immediate thought was to work out where we could get the critical care needs that were required so that we could meet uh, that requirement when the peak peak hit. You might remember in the early days we said our goal was to reduce the peak push it out into the future as far as possible, and then simultaneously build up all of our health response. And that was the early part of our response as a state. I spent a lot of time uh, with our Minister for Health and Wellbeing, Stephen Wade, but also his Chief Executive, Chris McGowan, and, of course, uh, uh, Nicholas Burrier, uh, who was our Chief Public Health Officer in South Australia. She'd only been in the job for two months when the coronavirus hit.
1: Can you even imagine having gone through this without her?
0: Look, uh, Nicholas Burriott leads a very, very capable team of public health administrators in South Australia. We are so fortunate in our state uh, to have a really well-developed plan uh, for responding to these types of critical incidents. And it's not just Nicholas Burriott and her team, but also Dr Louise Flood, who heads up the Communicable Diseases Control Branch, Dr Tom Dodd, who heads up SA Pathology, Grant Stevens. Our police commissioner, but also the state coordinator during a major emergency declaration. We've had so many people uh, in those leadership roles all working together uh, very, very closely for a long period of time. It's a great team.
1: A long period of time. I think we actually had the first cases of coronavirus here in February, Uh, but it was a long time, I think, between that first couple, the, the two cases, until we started seeing more in dribs and drabs. At what point did you start to worry
0: Look, we've been becoming increasingly worried about the coronavirus and how easy it was being passed on. We're also very concerned about some of the early uh, statistics and ratios uh, about the number of infections, the reproduction rate, uh, and also just the number of people that would require uh, hospitalisation, the number of people that would require intensive care. And don't forget, uh, in the early days, we were told that it was likely to have death rate of about two percent of all those people that became infected with the disease so it was a very worrying time and that's why we did everything we could to slow the spread of this disease and to reduce that peak down and that gave us time because we lagged behind the northern hemisphere and we then further lagged behind the eastern states and so uh, we tried to put as much uh, buffer as possible so that we could learn more about the disease but also put that critical care Uh, in place. And I've got to say, uh, the plan that was put in place by that team that I just outlined, absolutely fantastic. And in particular, in the early days, the great work that Tom Dodd and SA Pathology did around a very different testing regime from the rest of the country, a very advanced uh, testing regime, and it really gave us excellent data and information to make our decisions upon.
1: You just mentioned that the 2% death rate is what you were anticipating. What would that have meant for South Australia?
0: thousands and thousands of people dead by the end of this year that was what we were learning about early that we were likely to have thousands of people dead if we didn't move uh, as quickly as we possibly can and that was all the motivation that we needed to do every plausible thing that we could you might remember in the early days uh, we went back and we spoke Uh, with uh, the owners of different hospitals around South Australia, how can we requisition them? How can we stand them up? How can we uh, get the REPAT, again, reactivated? How can we get the PPE in? How can we train the people in South Australia uh, to be able to respond to the coronavirus? Every single element of a response was looked at, at, uh, almost like in a war room type arrangement with information being fed in Uh, on a daily basis, updating that plan and making sure that we stayed ahead of the coronavirus.
1: So you're running around, going to all these different facilities and places and people and and making sure you've got all the resources. But at the same time, did you have to plan for that worst case scenario?
0: We uh, had workshops which looked at all scenarios and some of the worst case scenarios were very, very frightening. Now, what we knew was because we were behind that front in the Northern Hemisphere and then the front uh, in the eastern states that we would learn about how to treat the disease uh, better, how to minimise the number of people that went to hospital, to minimise the number of people that required uh, ventilators, uh, and then ultimately uh, minimise the number of people that died. But there were some very frightening moments when we started to see uh, the death rate in Europe, even in countries like uh, England with a death rate not go, not sitting at 2% or 4% or 6%, but you know a very large percentage of those people in the early days who were infected with the coronavirus died of the coronavirus and we were absolutely, absolutely motivated to do everything we could to make sure that never happened in Australia and, more specifically, never happened in, in South Australia.
1: It's so morbid, but what were the plans? If that happened here with thousands of, of bodies, where we, what were we going to do with them? Like with there plans for mass graveyards and things.
0: Well, Vicki Chapman, who looks after, she's our Attorney General, of course, in South Australia, was in discussions with different departments about what would happen. My focus was on making sure that we would never, ever have to put those plans into place.
1: There were rumours. I'm not sure if you've heard them or if they are indeed true, but there were rumours swirling around Adelaide about the Ice Arena. Being I heard used.
0: that rumour too, but I can confirm that that wasn't one of our considerations. But, you know, we were here looking at a range of issues and restrictions and putting them in place as quickly as possible to slow and to, in fact, uh, stop the spread of this disease above that one, uh, that reproduction rate of of one as quickly as we could. Other uh, leaders in other countries were trying to work out where to bury their dead. Uh, And it always, I think, put it into perspective for me that as difficult as the tasks that the leadership group had in South Australia, we were really still fighting to protect all of our people rather than uh, deal with the aftermath of a a system which was out of control like they did in in so many different countries.
1: Were you sleeping at night? Uh,
0: I don't think I was getting a lot of sleep, but let me tell you, when I got into bed, I fell asleep almost instantaneously. They were long days, Um, but they were days when we we really did work together as a team and it was uh, everybody in the team knew their role in the team. Uh, We weren't tripping over each other. There was not any duplication. Um, I've got to say, as the Chair of the Emergency Management Council in South Australia, uh, I've been so impressed, just super uh, impressed with the systems that we have in place here in South Australia. And they've been in place for a long period of time. And we go through events. Uh, We have had events where we, uh, you know, if you like, create an exercise uh, around a, a pandemic around a high level of infections and how we would control them, what we would do if there was a terrorist attack in South Australia, what would we do if there was a a cyber attack uh, in South Australia. And I think by having those exercises and working proactively and having that team ready to be stood up at at a split second, we put ourselves in a good position. Of course, that same team only a month or two earlier was involved in the catastrophic bushfires. So they, they didn't have much respite between the time uh, that it was stood down uh, after the bushfires and then stood up again with, with regards to the pandemic.
1: Even through doing exercises like this and always being prepared, had you, I ever prepared for a health crisis of, of this grand scope? And, and B, did you, did you ever think you'd ever have to actually live through it?
0: Well, let's be clear, a global pandemic has been something that has been talked about for a long period of time. And if you go back over history, there have been these types of outbreaks. We've had them in Australia before. They're hopefully a once in a lifetime occurrence, uh, but we always need to be prepared. And uh, history tells us uh, it's happened in the past and it's likely to happen again. And one of the, the really good things that comes out of this is you learn. You learn uh, how to deal with uh, patients in ICU and how you can minimise uh, infection uh, spreading in your hospital. And every time you do that, you update uh, our practices and our protocols to make sure that we become ever more ready for the inevitability of other problems that will occur.
1: You sound like you've got a lot of respect, but you also had a lot of support from, you know, within government and all the different departments that were involved. Sounds like you had a really supportive team, but kind of outside of that, you know, when you went home, did did you find, you know, were you reaching out to your family and, and your kids or did you, did you not see your family for a long time?
0: Didn't get to catch up with too many people uh, for many months there, but I did feel very, very supported. I'd get uh, messages uh, often from mum, you're doing a good job. She's uh, now got used to uh, sending emails. I think that's one of the uh, interesting things about what has happened with the, uh, the, with the lockdown and the isolation is plenty of people now know what a digital device is. My mum certainly uh, does. But look, the support that I've had uh, in uh, the leadership team has been great. But by far and away, the most support that we got during this pandemic has been from the people of South Australia. We actually had the lowest level restrictions of any place in the country, yet we had the highest level compliance. And I'm sure an academic will unpack this sometime down the track. But it is a very interesting phenomenon. The lowest level restrictions, the highest level compliance. And I think the character of South Australians has really come to the fore. You know, this is a global pandemic and they've been educated about the disease. They found out about the risks, how it spreads. And South Australians, very practical people, just said, we know what to do. When they were asked to socially distance or physically distance, they didn't. They did it. They didn't enter into a, a fight with the government or uh, with the police commissioner, the state coordinator or with uh, public health administrators. They said, that's what you want us to do. That's what we'll do. And so really, this has been an amazing partnership between uh, the government and the people of South Australia and look at the result.
1: Do you think maybe you played the part of like a relaxed Parents, you know, not, not the strict overbearing one where the kids want to rebel. You know, you were you open and more chill about it.
0: I'm not sure about chilled about it. I didn't feel chilled at any point in time, uh, Chloe. But I think what we did early on was make up our minds that we would provide South Australia with all of the information that they need and, and provide that on a very regular basis and the full picture. And so from the very earliest Uh, presentations that we made. We had, whether it was the police commissioner, whether it was Louise Flood or uh, Professor Spurrier, they were available to the media and ultimately to the people of South Australia. And I've got to say, I am very grateful to the media. Now, I know you don't hear that from a politician virtually ever, but the media was that important conduit to the people of South Australia. So whether it be television, whether it be the newspaper, whether it be radio, The media in South Australia were very educated about this disease and then they took that knowledge and conveyed it to the people of South Australia. I'll give you a practical example, schools. There was a lot of concern, a lot of concern and anxiety around the decision as to whether students should be at school. Now we had very clear health advice uh, on this, but. Virtually every other part of the country was going in a different direction. But we decided to provide all of that information via the media to the people of South Australia. Students went back to school uh, term two in South Australia. And I think everybody feels proud that as a state we made that decision. Some states still haven't completely gone back uh, to school. Now, what we knew uh, from all of the evidence, was it wasn't spread at school. Uh, we had plenty of information through Term 1 in South Australia. We packaged that up. We presented it to the people of South Australia. And I really want to thank our teachers and our principals, our boards of governors uh, at school, and in particular the parents who had that, uh, I suppose, uh, real confidence uh, in the public health messaging, but also the ability of the schools to manage the coronavirus.
1: Why was it such a priority for you to keep the schools open and kind of buck the trend of of the other premiers?
0: I suppose it played into uh, our position on public confidence. If people uh, didn't have their children at school and they had them at home, it would disrupt uh, their life and I think it would make people even more anxious. Now, we had evidence it suggested that students would be better uh, at school. We know that we have vulnerable students where, quite frankly, if they're not at school, they're not being checked up on. And so I think it was really important to get those students back. But it was also important for uh, parents. And I kept saying, look, if you're going to have them home uh, during this pandemic, this pandemic could last three months, six months, 12 months, 18 months. Are you really going to uh, take that amount of time off school? Is your student's uh, education going to suffer? Yes, it will. It really will. And whilst you might be able to look after a child for a period of time, will you do it diligently in three months' time, or will the child be uh, out unsupervised, more likely uh, to pick up the disease, or perhaps being supervised by a grandparent who was that was the exact sort of vulnerable cohort that we were trying to protect at that, that time of the of the disease. So for all of those reasons. Uh, we said that students should be back at school. We presented that uh, to people, and we we're just delighted with the results.
1: Another issue you kind of went against the grain um, and differed to the other premiers was uh, shutting the borders very early. Uh, you know, what kind of prompted you to do that? You know, I think it was the twenty second of March. Correct. You acted very early. What was what was so dangerous about the borders?
0: So. Australia could see that the vast majority of all new cases were coming in from overseas. So the AHPPC and the National Cabinet made a decision, let's close off our national borders. And we did have a large number of people uh, who acquired the disease in South Australia uh, getting that disease from overseas. But the second highest vector were people returning from travel interstate. And we were determined uh, when we didn't know where this Disease was going to go that we did not want to be exacerbating the situation that we had in South Australia. So we made, I think, a very strong decision to close that border. Uh, And it was a tough decision. I mean, closing your borders to fellow Australians is is not a decision that you can take lightly. If I ever thought that, I mean, I never contemplated that would be a decision I'd ever make as a Premier of South Australia, but it needed to be made. It was the strong advice. Of the chief public health officer uh, in conjunction with the state coordinator, and we made that decision in record time. And again, a, a good decision uh, that, as we can see now, we haven't had that uh, that uh, that uh, that infection from interstate.
1: The decision did kind of get slammed by other premiers, and it, and it did throw the AFL into turmoil. It you know effectively you know hit pause on the season for for a long time. Did. That ever influence any of your decisions? Did you ever think, oh, you know, this is going to have an impact on the AFL, or, and you know, we're willing to live with it, or did, is, was it so insignificant it didn't even cross your mind?
0: Yeah, look, uh, I love footy and I love sport. I think Australia loves sport. It's part of our our psyche. It's part of our DNA uh, in Australia. But our primary focus in the middle of a global pandemic was the health, safety, and welfare of South Australians and then more broadly uh, Australians. And so whilst uh, we didn't enjoy the fact uh, that it was going to be very disruptive. It was a decision that had to be made.
1: What do you think was the hardest decision you had to make?
0: I think probably the decision that required the greatest courage uh, was around the Easter break. Uh, we had quite a lot of panic right across the state uh, that weekend. In fact, we were being asked by you know, prominent members uh, across the state to lock down the state. They did it in Western Australia. I think they divided their state up into 16 different areas. Uh, They had borders within their state, and there were a lot of people calling uh, for this. Instead, though, uh, we decided to trust the people of South Australia. We sent strong messaging, don't go away this Easter. If you're in metropolitan Adelaide, don't go holidaying. Uh, And I was just overwhelmed by the response that we got. Um, People didn't go away. They respected Uh, the anxieties that were in regional South Australia. They educated themselves about the disease. They didn't want to uh, spread the disease. And I think uh, whilst I had a few anxious moments uh, with regards to Easter, I thought it was, I thought in many ways, it was the turning point for the disease in South Australia. When we knew that the people of South Australia, who didn't want to be told what to do, but when we asked them to work with us over Easter, we saw a fantastic result. Do you
1: think had people not been compliant or perhaps if you didn't make that sort of, um, you know, suggestion or direction for the Easter weekend, we'd be in a very different position than we are now?
0: Look, I think that it was quite possible that if people did spread out across the state, we would start developing pockets right across the state. But we also knew that if we had to sort of lock down our state, we would be really dialing up the anxiety uh, to 10 and it's a balance. You've got to have that balance. And I think the balance that we've had in South Australia is to work with the people, not tell them what to do. I don't know what it is about Australians, but we're a, we're a contrary lot. We don't like to be told what to do. And we've never told the people of South Australia what they should be doing. We've educated them on how we can all work together to get through this time. And that's exactly what's happened. The Professor and the Hack. Accessible politics with just a touch of depth. I'm Hugh Rimmington. And I'm Peter Van Onselen. You can find us, The Professor and the Hack, wherever you find quality podcasts.
1: Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds.
0: What would have happened then? Well, of course, Vicky Chapman, as the Deputy Premier and the Attorney-General, would have stepped in. And of course, we were working very closely together right throughout this. We did move to um, the teleconferences for Cabinet meetings uh, to reduce the risk. We did move to social distancing, uh, extreme social distancing in some uh, weeks uh, with the Cabinet. But Cabinet uh, always worked uh, together during this crisis. There was one week uh, in seven days where the Cabinet met six times. This is extraordinary. Uh, uh, But Cabinet, I felt that it was important for Cabinet to really be um, involved in every single decision. Some of the decisions that we were making were extraordinary. uh, And I thought the more uh, heads that we had around that table, the better. And, of course, we also had Dr Chris McGowan, uh, Professor Nicholas Burrier uh, reporting, or not reporting so much as coming along to our Cabinet and updating us on what was happening. So everybody around that table uh, had a very good understanding of, of the disease uh, and our response and everybody's role in that response.
1: Did you ever worry, though, that, that you weren't going to catch it?
0: Um, I, I suppose it did, it, it, it did go through my mind. Um, you know, when I visited my mum, um, you know, I wouldn't give her a hug or a kiss. Seems odd now because I definitely uh, are back doing that. But there was a period that I thought, oh, I I meet a lot of people. And even though we're socially distanced, maybe I've got it. I didn't want to give it to uh, my mother. Um, So yeah, look, it did go through, but I never developed any symptoms. So I didn't have to have the PCR test, which I'm told as a little bit uncomfortable, but Uh, Definitely not uh, painful in any way, but I've never uh, had to have that PCR test uh, during uh, this uh, coronavirus. But I am very grateful to the 150,000 people who have, uh, when they've developed symptoms, gone off and had themselves tested. And I think it's just another indicator of just how cooperative South Australians have been. We've asked them, if you develop any symptoms, don't go to work, don't get on public transport, go and get yourself tested, and they have.
1: What has been your proudest moment throughout all of this?
0: I I think just steadily seeing those numbers come down. I mean, there have been some tough times when we've lost South Australians. I mean, we often uh, want to talk about the success uh, of our approach to the coronavirus, but we've got to remember that four people have lost their lives to this disease and many other people have, have suffered quite immeasurable Uh, impacts, whether they be uh, health impacts or whether they be uh, business impacts or financial impacts. Uh, Over 50,000 people have lost their jobs since March in South Australia. Now We're doing everything we can to stand up the economy as quickly as we possibly can, but we've got to do it within that health uh, parameter. But people have lost their jobs. Uh, People uh, have lost their businesses. Uh, People have become isolated and anxious. Um, There's a a big well-being issue that really concerns us still. Uh, And this is, again, one of the reasons why when we've been talking about lifting those restrictions, uh, we have talked about health, economic and social. But you asked the question, what is the proudest moment? I think when we just started to see those numbers come down uh, and then zero, 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 that I think every every single South Australian could share in, in that sense of pride.
1: You mentioned the four people who, who did die in South Australia. What was it like, especially the first one? I, I think I, I remember we were actually seeing case numbers drop a little bit and, and, and they were quite low and you know, for a couple of days and, and then all of a sudden we'd had a, a death recorded. Who, who told you that someone had died?
0: I was told by my office. Um, I think The first example was hard. We knew that we had people in intensive care and we knew that they had been in in intensive care for a long period of time. We knew this was a tough disease. We knew it was um, very tough on the ICU nurses. Um, Nursing these patients was like nothing else because it was was a disease which was just so uh, communicable that they had to really put themselves in PPE. Every time they took off their PPE, they had to, roll it and fold it in a certain way so that they wouldn't transmit uh, the disease so it, it was really tough uh, on the nurses it was really uh, tough on the families who couldn't visit uh, their loved ones it was really um, a heart-wrenching situation and I'm'm I'm, I'm so glad to the all of the people uh, in health in South Australia and all of our workers whether they be doctors nurses the people that clean uh, the hospitals in South Australia I'm I'm very, very uh, grateful for, and I'm, but, but it, we, we did have a lot of people in ICU for a long period of time. I'm so grateful we don't anymore.
1: Of those four people who died, um, you know, Francesco Ferraro had um, caught the virus at a wedding in Melbourne. Uh, two of them had been passengers on the Ruby Princess, but um, Malcolm Todd, he caught it in the Barossa. He'd gone to catch up with his son who was part of a, a Swiss tour group. What do you think about the fact that he was just going to visit family and this has happened.
0: Look, it just shows you how nasty this disease is. It doesn't discriminate. It can attack anybody. It's some people can do all the wrong things and be immune from it. Somebody can be doing all of the right things and can be hit with this disease. It is awful, and this is uh, this is just how unfair this disease has been
1: and when it comes to the brossa it wasn't just the swiss tour group but the americans as well and and then they they skipped town what what do you think of that kind of behavior
0: look it was extraordinary uh, behavior we had two clusters in the brossa and an outbreak we obviously then put that community into lockdown very tough on that local community where people were given advice not to leave the brossa not to go into the brossa the schools closed massive impact on businesses and lives Lots and lots uh, of anxiety, but we actually got through that and, it, in, in many ways, proved up that model of lockdown, that, that local area lockdown, which was also used in northwest uh, Tasmania uh, very, very effectively. And now, uh, those same learnings are being used in Victoria.
1: And while that's happening in Victoria, we're kind of easing restrictions, at, you know, that's like on a weekly basis. Uh, Did you feel pressure to start lifting the restrictions? Did you want it to go in a faster or slower sort of way?
0: It's a really hard thing to get this right. You've got to get this balance. Um, We saw places around the world who lifted very quickly, only to impose them several weeks down the track and then have uh, big spikes. We didn't want that to happen in South Australia. Business told us that we didn't uh, want to have that in South Australia. So I think we've acted... Uh, in a prudent and careful and gradual way. But look at us now, one person per two square metres. You've got uh, 50% capacity in so many uh, different areas, including AFL uh, later this month, our theatres, our cinemas. Businesses are getting back. Confidence is getting back. Employment uh, is getting back. It's a very, very different place from just about anywhere else around the world. I mean, where else in the world would you want to be at the moment than in Australia and more specifically right here in Adelaide.
1: We have some of the most relaxed restrictions in the country right now. We, we did have a lot of steps in between. What made you feel comfortable realising that we needed to start lifting? Did you have to fight you know, Professor Sporia on it and, and saying it, it's time?
0: We set up a transition committee which would look at the three areas, health, social, uh, as well as economic. And we've always wanted to get people back to work as quickly as we possibly can. But do it once uh, properly. And of course, there is uh, tension coming from different uh, perspectives, but it's always been respectful and it's always been a decision which the uh, committee can all work with. And we've been really grateful for having those uh, different uh, perspectives. Some people uh, would have liked us to have gone much faster. Some people would have liked us to have gone much slower. Uh, We've been elected uh, in South Australia uh, to... Be leaders during uh, this period of time. I think we've got it right. You never get everything 100% right. So if there are things that we've got wrong, we apologise for that. But we, uh, every single decision that we've had to make, put the people of South Australia uh, first and try to make the decision that we think is in the best interests of our state.
1: Is there anything you would have done differently?
0: Is there anything that I would have done uh, differently? Look... I think one of the issues that has caused a lot of uh, stress is around family reunification. Um, I, 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 I wish that we could have uh, maybe moved uh, earlier for a different arrangement with regards to um, the authorisation for essential workers and compassionate. That was actually had to be dealt with on a, on a case-by-case uh, basis. The police commissioner has put an excellent system uh, in now. Maybe we could have looked at that earlier. Look, there are probably all, there's probably half a dozen little things that we could have done better. But over, overall, I think the people of South Australia um, have really helped us to achieve what we have. And I'm very, very grateful.
1: We're in, a, in an amazing position at the moment. Um, you know, it, it's a credit to yourself and, and you know, all the other leaders that you mentioned. Do you have any advice for any other leaders in other parts of the world, perhaps, you know, um, that aren't doing so well? You know, if you look over at America, any, any advice for what Trump should be doing now?
0: Oh, I think that every place is different. You know, we are fortunate as a country that we are an island, that we moved very quickly. We closed down our international borders. We've got excellent testing. We've got excellent tracing. These are the fundamentals of managing a, a pandemic. But I think the overwhelming thing that I've learned is work with the people of your, of your state, with work with the people of your country I think when leaders get themselves uh, into a fight uh, with their citizens, then it it can often spiral out of control. We're seeing around the world now civil uh, disobedience. We've never seen that here in in South Australia, and, and I'm very grateful for that. Thank you very much. Thanks, Chloe.
1: This has been a 10 News First podcast for 10 Speaks. We'll see you next
0: time.